is the citizens going wild exactly where it was last week and the week before that? Uh, what we are battling in general here in this country, in addition to the COVID, which is, believe it or not, temporary, although it doesn't seem like that, is a, a hostile takeover by a smart, well-educated group that thinks that they were born to shepherd the rest of us through life. Uh, the thing is that they are smart, they are well-dressed, God knows, and uh, live in um, the Upper East Side or someplace like that. They're knowledgeable about their field but little else. They make continuous pronouncements about uh, public policy, but they really aren't that knowledgeable. And they don't have the advantage of having what you have, which is me by your side. We're going to go over a couple of messages, methods that give you super strength. And by doing that, we're going to beat these people at their game, which is basically ruling the earth and telling you how to live your life. We've talked about a number of things. Uh, let's go over some of them. Uh, we're going to know the facts better than they do. Okay. Uh, and this will allow us to polax them if we get into a debate with them. Uh, for example, you look at poor people throughout the world, and that's most of the people in the world, except for those who are part of Western civilization one way or the other. And uh, you find, ask, why are they dying? Why are they dying? Why are they always on the six o'clock news dying? And the two main reasons are not starvation, which, of course, they also starve. But the, the main factors of poor people throughout the world, the reason they die is respiratory infection, which is mean you can't breathe right, and diarrhea, that's right, funny as it may seem, and malaria. First of all, we're not talking about the diarrhea that, that, sends, that is, appears in the ads in America. We're talking about diarrhea that is an immediate, massive, uh, leaving of the fluids from your body. This has stopped an entire army in their tracks throughout history. And that comes from what? It comes from dirty water. Okay. And uh, respiratory, inf and, um, excuse me, respiratory infection. What does that come from? That comes from dirty air. What is the third main cause of dying in the, th in the third world? Malaria. But how odd, we don't have malaria here at all, do we? If we showed up with malaria at a hospital, all the doctors come running, they've never seen a case before. So what's going on here? Basically what's going on here is the people who are in charge of dispensing money to the third world and say they wanna help them, don't help them very much don't help them as much as they could. For example, respiratory infection, what does that come from? That comes from dirty air. Dirty air from where? Dirty air from people burning wood for fire to, to cook meat to stay warm, okay? Dirty air from uh, burning um, dung. That's right, they burn dung in poor countries for fuel to heat their food to cook their food and to stay warm. Now, what, how did we solve this problem? I mean, how many dung 
uh, cookers do you know in your neighborhood? Very few, I would bet, especially if you're in a development. Okay, what we do is we produce power in a central area by coal, or if you don't like coal, atomic energy, oil, gas, and a tiny, tiny bit by solar energy. And then we ship it out to different places like your house on long transmission lines. But these people don't have any of that. Why not? Because we basically won't give it to them. We don't promote, we won't finance massive coal fire plants, uh, massive uh, uh, nuclear energy, oil, gas, anything that they can might actually have by luck or whatever. We really cared about them. We would allow them to do the very things we have done for centuries and are doing now. Diarrhea, dirty water. Why do they have dirty water? Well, basically water, you know, once it hits the earth tends to be dirty. It falls into whatever chemicals, whatever problems you have on this earth and accumulates in places like wetlands or stagnant lakes or things like that. What do we do with dirty water? We pour chemicals, 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 and then once more we pour a chemical. Actually, we sift out the big stuff, like the big turds first. But basically after that, we pour in chlorine, things like that, to kill the damn germs. But when the third world asks for that, we say, oh, no, you want to use natural methods, or you don't want to get involved with chemicals. What we should do if we want to end the plague of dirty water in the third world is send them chlorine, chlorine, and more chlorine. And that's how they would help those poor souls there. Malaria. When is the last case of malaria that you came across in any way, shape, or manner? You haven't. Malaria used to be all over. It used to be the plague of Europe. What has happened? We have done certain things that we don't promote for the third world. For example, you see stagnant water, dry it up. We used to call stagnant water swamps, but and then we'd be happy to shut them down. But now they're called wetlands and they sound like birds go around there a lot and we don't want to do anything about that. It's a damn shame. About between a million and a million and a half people in third world nations die of malaria every single year and their blood, so to speak, is on the hands of the so-called environmentalists. Uh, what else did we do? DDT, if you've seen old movies uh, and newsreels of World War II, the end of World War II, there was a chance that everyone would get malaria. A lot of people get malaria. And so what do we do? We just dusted them, just sprayed them with, uh, with with uh, DDT, which is a chemical that's put on dry. All of a sudden, we don't like to do that. Why? A woman wrote a book uh, about how chemicals are killing us and chemicals would be the death of mankind. And uh, they also cause cracks in the eggs of eagles. I, I appreciate an, Amer an eagle as much as the next man. But if it's a choice between an eagle and a little black child in Africa, I'm going with the black child. Give them DDT and let them dust everything in sight. Dry up every bit of water that's not flowing freely. 
then we'll get an end of it. Instead, we've driven these people nuts with mosquito nets. Like we, we were supposed to be peaceful with the mosquitoes and not hurt the mosquitoes. And I, I like mosquitoes as much as the next man. But for God's sakes, if it's a choice between a child and a mosquito, I'm going with the kid. Facts matter and they allow you to poleaxe your enemies. And that's what we want to do, right? Right. All right, comparative analysis. Let's take a look at this. Comparative analysis is very, very powerful as a tool for analyzing social problems. Let's say we have a problem of crime and uh, we, we think, well, maybe crowding causes crime. Maybe we spread people out. Now, what you do with comparative analysis is you look back in time and you look in space to see what is happening there. All right, so we think, uh, let's say we come up with a theory, crowding causes crime. Okay, so we reach over here and we get a tissue, but also we think to ourselves, wait a second, let's see what's happening in countries, excuse me, uh, that, um, that are crowded, like Japan. Do they have high rates of crime? No, they don't. Let's say another nation that has a lot of people jammed together, the Netherlands, where they have to actually build any more land if they want it. Do they have a crime right? Hell no. So we might want to reconsider. You can't prove things in the social sciences the way you can prove things in the uh, physical sciences, but you can get an inkling if you order, if you have any humility, if you have any interest in being objective, you learn when you should maybe rethink things, okay? Let's take another area that's gonna be coming up in five minutes on a national scene, taxes. Now, for many years, people scream, oh no, no, higher taxes will lead to a lack of prosperity. It'll destroy the economy. It's very, very bad. Okay, maybe it is bad. How do we know? We look across time and space, mainly in this case, space. We line up the countries in terms of the amount, the percentage of taxes taken by the federal government. I have actually done this in a research project. And then we put alongside of that, we compare that to countries that uh, are prosperous. And you can do that by lining up their growth rates, for example. And what do you find? Well, I did this and what I found was a strange situation with no good answers. Most of the countries that are prosperous, that is the countries of Western Europe uh, and the United States have, excuse me, leaving the United States, that is, European countries have very, very high taxes. Americans would keel over and die on the sidewalks if they had to live with those type of tax rates. There's barely any, if any, European countries that have a tax rate below 50%. That is, you earn a dollar, they, the government takes 50 cents. Ours is around 30, maybe 35%, maybe a little tiny bit higher recently. Um, now, there are two countries that have low taxes that are prosperous, Japan and the United States. So what do we have here? I'm not sure. We have a situation where you can't just say lower taxes equal greater prosperity because the countries, there are only two countries that have lower taxes, but they are important countries, Japan and the United States. The other countries that have um, higher taxes that are very prosperous as well. So what do we learn? We learn that we're not sure of the role of taxes and we should take it easy there without spouting dogma day and night. 
comparative analysis is really, really important. It allows you, in effect, to bring a gun to a knife fight in dealing with public policy as well. Okay, here's something that's really, it's like having jujitsu, which is using the weight of your opponent for your benefit. Opposing views. Whatever view you have, there's someone out there on this planet and possibly the next that has an opposing view. When they have done the work, the research of lining up the arguments on their side, they have actually helped you. You can learn what the opposition thinks and what you might need to overcome their point of view. Let them do the work. Let your enemies do the work. Let the opposing party do the work and then just take a look at it. It's already laid out for you. <laughs> Another thing we can look at is personal experience. Now, this is tricky. A while back, there was a big sensation about a guy who had a method of uh, reducing crime. And what he did is he took people who had either committed minor crimes or perhaps were thinking of committing minor crimes and he put them in prison. And he let the prisoners tell him what life was like inside uh, prison, like Railway Prison in New Jersey, which is where they film this. Well, it's hell on earth. It is hell on earth. If you think there are thugs out here, the creme de la creme of thugs are in prison and they, they rule, they rule. It's not easy. This uh, scenario was called Scared Straight. I saw a documentary on Scared Straight, and I thought, well, that's the answer. But it turns out it's not the answer. It's turned out that there are people like me whose idea of a cop is the guy, Mr. Gaucho, who used to live catty corner from my house, who would give out some of the best snacks in the neighborhood on Halloween. But it's a different world out there. It's a different world out there where the thugs meet the victims. And... The people there think of the cops in a different way, and the people there are not so easily scared. I mean, if a cop yells, stop, you know, I just throw up uh, everything, throw off my shoes, uh, take off my pants, whatever, I get panicked, and I do what they say, just like that. Well, there are a lot of people in the ghetto who don't obey so quickly, you don't learn so quickly, you don't pay attention and don't give a shit what the cop says. So they also don't give a shit what the criminal says. They look at it and say, well, that'd be interesting. Actually, I don't know what they say, but the point is personal experience is tricky. You should use it because you have experience and it's as valid as anyone else's. But you have to be sure that your experience is more widely shared before you use it to analyze. Here's something else, numbers. We're going to have a healthcare debate. Our semi-annual activity is back again and we're gonna have a healthcare debate. What should we do about healthcare? Well, there's some, basically the debate is between those who think we should have national healthcare and those who think we should not have national healthcare. Uh, healthcare, they like their personal insurance that they get, let us say, from the place of business where they work. They like it just fine. Thank you very much. So what do we do here? Well, a lot of people argue it's just terrible. 
in countries that they say they call it socialized medicine, like Canada or England or Germany or France or whatever. Okay, you can say what you want to say, but let's bring a few numbers into this. Let's see, for example, how much countries that have socialized medicine pay. Well, it turns out they pay about half of what we pay. Or they pay, let's say, a third of what we pay. But, 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 but what about the healthcare? What about the healthcare? Here's where numbers come in. How long do those people pay that are laboring under the existence of socialized medicine? Well, this is bad news if you are a conservative. It turns out they live longer than we live. Now, you might say, well, life isn't everything. But you also might want to take another look at it. Again, there's no proof the way there is in natural sciences. But you ought to take a look. Take a look at the figures. Take a look at the numbers. They're solid. And you have to deal with them in the end, or at least you should if you're an honorable person. Here's another factor that's important. History. Boy, is this important. Boy, is this important. If you want to know why the United States of America works, look at this. They use history to decide what is human nature like. They use history to decide what the governments do well and do poorly. And because of these souls, we live in a democratic country, which still continues on in spite of various problems. Okay? Learn from history. Um, now, the key to prosperity, let's say you want to help people in the, in the third world. We want to help you get rich. What should we do? And the usual answer is we have to get more government aid, more government aid. Well, there's nothing wrong with government aid. I wouldn't mind a little bit. Chen would probably like a few bucks. But it turns out the nations that got rich fast were nations like the United States. And what was the secret of getting rich? Private business. Small business, small businesses called farms. We became the first middle class society in the world. That is a country where most people were in the middle class more than the rich or the poor. And we did that by small businesses called farms. Now that doesn't actually prove, prove, prove things the way, uh, uh, I don't know, formula proves things, but it gives you an indication and when you look at other countries, take a look. I think you'll find that a lot of countries benefited mainly by a government that stayed out to a large degree, but allowed free business to operate and then steal from the people, which is what you hear if you listen to third world countries that the government or some soldiers come into your shop and just take your money away. Um, th this doesn't mean the government has no role. Of course they have a role. The best thing they can do is set up a system of good primary education, okay? Uh, they can build the highways to make, um, you know, the transmission of goods and food possible. They can do a number of important things. They can keep enemies out. They can keep criminals from aggravating you. But the main reason countries get rich is private enterprise. We might take a look at this. Maybe we'd be better off giving loans to poor people then they're giving them food. I mean, we should give them food as well, but we should learn from history. We should learn from history. By the way, one thing you learn from history is you better watch out for the government or there's supposed to be an old Chinese uh, saying, keep the government, keep them far away from me.
Governments are tricky. Sometimes they help and sometimes they slaughter. Here's another thing that you want to look at, double standards. One group that suffers a lot from double standards are Jews. Whenever Jews strike back at their enemies, they're accused of uh, going too far, overdoing it. Apparently they should have a calculus and only hit back so hard. Here, double standards. Let me get a couple of examples here. Moral equivalence often works on the, to the detriment of Israel, which means, to, which is often singled out for condemnation. When Jews fight back, which as a Jew, I'm very happy. It's the first time in 2000 years. It's a celebration maybe. They are frequently accused of crossing a red line. Cable news network, drawing additional countries directly into the intractable conflict. Uh, they are warned that retaliation can aggravate anti-US feelings or destabilize the whole region. Were I a cynic, I would say that much of the planet has reconciled itself to the fact that Jews have the ability to strike back. I like that. I like that. Much better than being slaughtered, I would say. But the media often says they've gone too far or they've overreacted. That's how you win wars. You overreact. You kill more of them than they kill you and you're declared the winner. I like it excessive force my ass now the media which is its own category and there's more than a few seconds i'll give it here the media has to be watched we are so used to the media playing a large role in our lives that we forget what they do the main thing they do is they set the agenda what are you going to think about today trump well apparently so what are you going to think about it the virus, the virus, the virus, okay? We, and they should be in some cases, but there are other things going on in the world. There are other things going on in the world at all times. They pick and choose. Are we gonna think about uh, Christians doing something wrong? Or are we gonna think about the fact that Christians are actually being terrorized in most of the world outside of the United States and Western Europe and a little bit in Western Europe nowadays? that they're actually being crucified. Hands out, feet together, bang, bang. They're being crucified, but you've never seen it. You've never heard of it. You're not alert to it. You don't care about it. Not because you're a bad person. You probably are against crucifixion, right? But it isn't mentioned. So it, it's not there. You should keep an eye on this sort of stuff. Another thing the media does is who's the bad guy and who's the good guy here. They decide, and whether you resist or not is another question, but they basically decide here. On college campuses, uh, people uh, are mad at Israel. Uh, why? Well, they, I don't know why. There's a million different reasons. But one of the things that they said that the people talk about is that you're mad at Israel for a variety of reasons. But meanwhile, Iran hangs gays. They hang them in public. Here's a little picture of it. I don't know if you can see it, but they're hanging gays. They're definitely gay and they're definitely going to be hung. They hang them from huge building cranes. They hang them from any place they can find. They throw them off of roofs. 
And yet, Israel does not get credit for being, while Tel Aviv is the most gay um, city in the world, it has the biggest gay parade. Uh, the, the gays in the military have been in there for decades. They have their own magazine, but somehow they never give credit for that. Why not? The media decides who gets credit, who doesn't get credit. By the way, this is a horrible picture, but it's a picture of um, a Christian being literally crucified. Why haven't you thought about it? Because you like me until I got this picture, until you saw this picture, you didn't know what was going on. Basically, if it's not in the media, if it's not in the news, it doesn't exist here. <laughs> the people uh, talk about uh, slavery and talk about uh, discrimination. The Arabs and the Muslims own black slaves. They own black slaves today. They have owned black slaves for centuries. They were practicing slavery, Arabs holding blacks a slave for eight centuries before uh, we got into the slavery business. But if it's not in the news, it doesn't exist. Here's one. Lately, there's a group, BDS, that seeks to um, uh, they, they seek to basically um, uh, slander Jews, slander Israel, say we're terrible people over there. And one thing they advocate is, is a boycott. But it's interesting. What about this boycott? The Germans were the first in modern times to urge the boycott of a group they didn't like, Jews. If this was pointed out, people might wonder if, if these are good guys or bad guys that are slandering Jews and saying we should boycott Jews because it'll remind people of the damn Nazis. But if it's not in the news, it doesn't exist. More and more we live in a media world, a visual world. And if it's not there, we just don't care about it. When looking at problems, you have to realize that the media is making a choice. Are they looking at a problem as a question of solutions or a question of trade-offs? That, it, that is, that they look at a problem and say, we can solve this problem by doing A, B, or C, or maybe A, B, and C together. Or do they say, we can do this, but it'll cost us. The media doesn't do many buts. It likes a clean story without interruptions. But here's the thing. Um, the, the United States, uh, about 20 years ago, decided that they would provide subsidized flood insurance to people throughout the United States. It cost so much, it was so hard for people to rebuild after a flood. Everybody said, that's a great idea. We're still spending about 16, $17 billion a year providing subsidized flood insurance. It is a good idea, but, 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 but what? But people in New Jersey, who want to live by right by the ocean, a few feet away from the ocean, but don't want to get wet, will take a chance and build a house there because the insurance is subsidized. A friend of mine told me how he owns, uh, did own a very expensive house worth, uh, you know, three quarters of a million dollars at least. And he only paid a few hundred dollars for flood insurance. When the floods came, this was a couple of years ago, Hurricane Sandy, and wrecked his place, it cost hundreds of thousands of dollars to repair it, but he didn't have to pay for it. He's not a bad person, he's a good person. 
but you have to be nuts not to take advantage of these programs. We have to look at not only the solution we propose, what is the cost of this solution? This goes on all the time with the little bitty islands over off of the South Carolina, North Carolina coast. <coughs> a lovely place to build a house, but sure as hell, it will be flooded because it's a spit of sand. It gets flooded. We rebuild the house for practically free for these people and they keep rebuilding and rebuilding because, well, the government's stupid enough to pay for it. We ought to look at problems and look at the whole problems and look at the trade-offs. The economists like to say, and this is one of the reasons for their lack of popularity, the economists like to say, there's no such thing as a free lunch. And generally speaking, and nearly all the time in public policy analysis, there's no such thing as a free lunch. Every solution comes with its own problems, its own set of problems. You know, uh, in Texas recently, they had a flooding, terrible flooding, and, and a lot of people I felt very bad were getting flooded out and lives were lost, property was destroyed, and so on and so forth. Now, one uh, housing project that was put together down there uh, promised you could live near a lagoon. Lagoon, doesn't that sound watery to you? It sounds watery to me. Yet people built there. Now, if they didn't have flood insurance, maybe they would think twice about it. Maybe they would think lagoons, Harry, doesn't that mean water? That sort of thing. We also have to look at inputs and outputs. We have to ask what works and what doesn't work here. Um, inputs and outputs here. Education. When people are running for office and they care about education, or at least they want to win votes because of people who care about education, they say, I'll put in more money and more money and more money into education because our future is with education. Our children must be educated to keep up. Yes, yes. No doubt about it, that's true. But they ought to look also at outputs. Right now in New Jersey, the Supreme Court, I don't know how they got this power, decided that we should spend more money on people who live in poor districts than people who live in rich districts. Okay, fine. We are now spending $28,000. $28,000. That's enough money to go to a mid-level university. We're spending $28,000 for kids who live in poor districts, which are often, by the way, immigrants who just got here. All right, fine. What are the results? I don't know. I haven't heard much about it. When they did look at it, they didn't find much in the way of results. That is the people, the extra $10,000, which by the way, is the average of spending of students throughout the United States, doesn't seem to have any effect. We are obligated, if we're going to be honest, and if we're going to have sane public policies, to look not just at the inputs, but the outputs. By the way, the only place that we can be absolutely certain of inputs and outputs is in miles paved in the roads. You put in so much, you get so many miles paved, and so on and so forth. We, we have to look at that if we want a sane public policy here. Here's another thing, language. 
the media decides what, who you are and whether they like you or not. And after that, you're basically at their mercy. Um, once they label you an extremist, you're done. Now, nowadays, the big word, the word that sort of ends your career on this planet is racist. Once the media decides you're a racist, you're done for, you're finished. There's nothing you can say. Uh, the famous boxer said, everyone has a plan to hit him in the mouth. And that's true. Now, the way of hitting people in the mouth is verbal. We call you a racist, you're done for. You're finished. There's nothing, there's no way to come back from that sort of stuff. Although I think that if we practice saying racist back to that person, it might help somewhat. Um, you know, there are certain words that you don't like. Capitalist is made into a, a dirty word. And no one introduces their new bow by saying, here, mom, this is Jason, uh, my new uh, boyfriend. He's a capitalist. It doesn't sound right. Uh, racist is powerful. Outburst. When they don't like you, uh, they, they call you someone who's had a lot of racist outbursts or just outbursts. It means you're out of control. You can't control your emotions. Um, a culture of revenge. No one would like to have a mother who said, listen, uh, Jimmy, I'm leaving home now. I've decided to join a culture of revenge. It's not a good thing. Um, another thing is occupation, which is often used against Israel. And no one asks the following question. If, we're, if Israel is occupying a country, what country are they occupying? There is no country out there for them to be occupied. But it doesn't matter. Once the label is on, once the media has decided on who you are and what type of person or country you are, you're pretty much done. There's one more thing I wanted to mention. And that's apples and oranges. The media will often compare different groups that really shouldn't be compared, or if they should be compared, it's with the addition of a footnote. For example, recently Hispanics have become a group that is officially certified as oppressed. By the way, we're the only country in the world that I know of that has this category of group Hispanics. And I've asked my students over about nearly 40 years, you ever greet somebody by saying hello fellow Hispanics? Is there an Hispanic national melody? Is there nothing, nothing, nothing. Actually, the people who are Hispanics fight like cats and dogs. The Puerto Ricans hate the Cubans and the Cubans hate the Puerto Ricans. There have been civil wars there in South America that have gone on for 30 plus years. But somehow we put them in a category that deserves special treatment and we get them in that category and keep them there by saying, well, you know, uh, blacks and Hispanics are not doing that well as white people. Well, maybe they're not. Maybe there are reasons why they're not. For example, and again, this is stuff not mentioned. How long you've been in a country that uh, has a great effect on how well educated you are and how well off you are. My father and mother never got to high school. But her children have two kids with PhDs and one with a master's. Okay. How long you've been in this country has an effect on what type of life you're going to have. The level of education. People come here because they have a lower level of education and they want to increase it. Who can blame them? <coughs> Great idea. But 
the better educated you are, generally speaking, unless you major in um, women's studies, you're going to be better off. Okay? They have larger families. I'll bet that your grandparents had much larger parent, uh, much larger parents, much larger families than you have. Most educated middle class people have one, two kids. Some don't even have two. Some have one. Some just have a picture in their wallet of their nephew. The larger the family, the more the wealth has to be spread out. How well do you speak English? That's another factor. It has nothing to do with anyone discriminating against Hispanic. It has to do with they don't know English that well. The better you know English, obviously, the more money you're going to be earning. There are maybe some exceptions, but there aren't many. And there are different cultures. Different cultures have different levels of entrepreneurial skills. I always urge black students to look into the area of owning your own small business because I am to be a really smart person. Well, I try anyway. And I know that most people move from poverty to the middle class by owning their own small businesses. The only groups that moved within the time of one generation from poverty to middle class are groups that stressed owning your own small business. It is no coincidence that Jews, Chinese, Koreans have moved very rapidly and that so many of the small businesses, well, years ago they were Jewish, now they're the Korean grocery store, um, the Chinese dry cleaners, whatever. Uh, the, the point is, this is a method that's not stressed by the damn media or not by the, and not by the professors who probably don't even know this because they haven't been in my class, but it matters a great deal. You have to look at inputs and outputs. And I'll be nudging you over the coming few months, hopefully the coming few years, about all of these points. And I, I think they matter a lot. Meanwhile, pay attention. Your enemies are gathering. We'll see you next week.